0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. I know we got a lot of information tonight. We want information to turn into revelation, to turn into application, right? And manifestation. Isn't that what we desire? We don't want just information. We want it all the way through to manifestation. That's what our goal is. I want to put together the last two points. What we're talking about during this series Seven truths that will change our destiny. Seven truths that God used to teach Joshua to teach the people, to raise up a people of faith, to get them into the promised land. When under Moses, they did not get into the promised land, they failed to do so. And so we kind of outline these seven particular principles, and we're trying to get these last two in here tonight. Number one, our enemy's been defeated And we're to realize that and recognize that. Number two, we have a covenant with a covenant-keeping God who has made promises that He's sealed by the blood and He will never change. What He said He will do, He will do so that we can have faith in Him. Number three, remember our deliverance. How did we get out of the darkness? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing we could do on our own. He did it for us. And so we've got to remember where we're at right now is because of where we were he made a decision to love us, send Jesus to die for us, and he did all the work for us so that we could be brought out of darkness into the light. Aren't you glad you're there? Amen. So let's not forget that because if he didn't love us, he'd left us there. Right? right? But he didn't. Number four, it's a brand new day. A day in which we can access the throne of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus is our representation there at the right hand of God. Representing us to the Father. And so we ask anything in his name in this day. And He will, the Father will do it because of Jesus. So we thank God for that. Number five. We are not alone. And sometimes when we're attacked physically and other ways. It seems like we're alone. That God's so far away from us. But we're to remind ourselves we are not alone. The captain of the host of the army of the living God. will go before the Israelites to get them into the promised land. And he said he would do that. And he did that. For them, So we're not alone, praise God. Aren't you glad that God is with us, in us, and for us? Thank God he is. So we're not alone going in the battle. So if we're facing a battle, say to yourself, I am not alone. The living God, the creator of the universe is my father and he's on my side. He sent his son to die for me and thank God I'm free. Number six is what we're going to talk about tonight and seven if we can get to it. I'll do my best to get us through the whole thing so we can sum it all up. Okay, God has already given us the land. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2, this is where this comes from. All the other verses are there for you to look over for yourself. And remember, you can take this home, you can study it over and over, you can share it with other people, and it'll be a blessing. Because once again, this is what God used to raise up a faith people. And that's how they got into the promised land. And that's what we should want. Enter into the fullness of it all. Okay, verse 2, Joshua chapter 6. And the Lord said to Joshua. Notice that next word. See. Everybody say see. See. We got to look at something. See, I want you to see this. See what, Lord? I have already given you the land. Notice this. See, I have given. Isn't that past tense? I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. I have have given. They haven't even gone in yet, but he says, I've given it to you. It belongs to you. It is yours. And guess what? They conceded the land already under Moses, but Moses' group, they failed to realize that. They were already defeated, and they failed. To, the Israelites failed to realize that. So our enemy is defeated, and thank God he's already given us the land. So now notice in your notes, our faith, and this is important, doesn't move God to supply our needs. Our faith doesn't move God to supply our needs. No, God has already supplied everything we need before making salvation available to us. He's already done it. He's already supplied our needs in Christ. Okay, he's already done that. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. We won't look them up. Just share them with you real quick. That we have precious promises. By these we're partakers of the divine nature. And in Christ he has given us all things. That pertain to life and godliness. So he's already done that. So in Christ, God has given us, are your next two words, everything we need. Everything we need for our natural life and spiritual life. Next two words. He's already given us everything we need. We have it. We have it now. In Christ. He doesn't have to create or do anything else to satisfy our needs. There's nothing else he has to do. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he rested from all his works. He finished the work of redemption. Now, he's operating in a high priest ministry right now, but as far as redemption, it was complete in Christ when he offered up his blood. So, he doesn't have to do anything, create anything whatsoever. In in creation, he provided everything before creating man. Didn't he? He didn't make man, then then say, "Uh, you, what do you need? Let me think here. Water? Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll come up with that." He, he didn't do that. He created a universe with everything that man needed, every resource that he needed to function in life and to live. It was already done. Then he makes man. Well, in the new creation, that's that's the natural man. In the new creation, he provided everything before recreating man. When Jesus finished His work on Calvary and offered up the blood, it's all set in motion. All we have to do is enter into it. Okay? Now, in John 3, 16, God gave us Jesus. God gave us Jesus. In Romans eight thirty one and 32, if He gave us Jesus, He gives us everything. So by giving us Jesus, He has given us all things. All things. So our faith... Study of God's Word, prayer and meditation, what do they do? They position us to receive what God has given us. They position us to receive what God has given us in Christ. In John 1, 12, he came to his own, his own received him not, is what that verse says. So what, we, what must we do? We must receive who God has given. Has he given you Christ? Have you received Christ? Yes. When you receive Christ, you received all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not going to get it, you've already received it. In Christ, we have all these things. Luke 12, 32. Uh, God takes pleasure in giving us the kingdom. That's what that verse says. It's his good pleasure to give unto us the kingdom. In Matthew 16, 18, and 19, the keys of the kingdom have been given to all believers. All believers have the keys to the kingdom. Not just Peter. So, this is talking about binding and loosing. Those are your next two words. Binding and loosing is the privilege of every believer. What we bind will be bound. What we loose will be loosed. As a believer, what we allow will be allowed. What we refuse to allow won't be allowed. And so, that's talking about the keys to the operation of the kingdom of God in the life of the believer. And it was God's doing, not man's doing. Okay, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 19. And that verse simply states... That he's given us power over all the power of the enemy. So all believers have been given what? We're talking about God's already given us. What has he given us? Power over all the power or the work of the enemy. In Luke 9, 1, he says, I give you power to cast out devils and cure diseases. So your last two words are curing diseases. This power and authority includes casting out devils and curing diseases. No wonder he said you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If he didn't give you power to do that, you couldn't do it. You'd have empty hands. But if he anointed you with the Holy Ghost and you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you got the power of God in you, you can lay your hands on the sick and expect the power of God to transfer into that person's body so they can be delivered and they can be healed. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Okay, when God's word says we've been given everything we need, we should not minimize, is your next word, this statement. Don't minimize it. Everything means all things that we need. As disciples of Christ, we we have God's divine power working in us, is your next word. It's working in us right now, giving us everything we need for life and godliness. So our trust, is your next word, our trust must be in the living God who gives us, look at the next word, richly, all things to enjoy. Richly. Oh, that's what that verse talks about. He's given us richly all things to enjoy. So money can't buy what God has given us in Christ. You can't buy this with money. You can't find this store either. You can't buy the anointing with money. You can't merchandise the anointing. If you do, I guarantee you, you will be judged. You can't buy it, you can't purchase it. All that we have in Christ was a gift to, given to us by God. In first Corinthians 15, 57. We're supposed to be abounding in every good work. Why? Because we know that our our faith in Christ Jesus is not in vain. So God has given us victory over death. Three words, death, hell, and the grave. He's given us power and authority and victory over death, over hell, over the grave. You realize that death has no power of us. The grave has no power of us. The grave can't hold us down. The grave will not hold your body down should Jesus tarry and we all go to the grave. It's not going to hold you down. So I'm going to hold your spirit back. You're going to to be with him in glory and your body's going to be just left behind. But then one day when he comes with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the grave's going to open and here we go. Aren't you glad for that? So we're we're victorious over death. Nothing has been left out. The land belongs to us. Victory is your next word belongs to us. Say it with me. me. Victory belongs to me. Deliverance belongs to us. And healing belongs to us. Healing is our covenant right. Health is our covenant right. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. Thanks be unto God. It sure is. It's a covenant right that we all have. Well, he gave us all these wonderful things. I think it's important to point out at least something that he didn't give us. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Where do you think that comes from? We know where it comes from, but he goes on to say, power, love, and a sound mind. So what would we rather have? The spirit of fear, power, or power, love, and a sound mind. God has given us power, love, a sound mind. They belong to us in Christ. But fear, uh uh-uh, doesn't come from God. So once we join God's family, we will never have a need that hasn't already been provided for us in Christ. Wow. We may not know it, but we have it. We will never face a task too hard to accomplish. Never face a task too hard to accomplish. All right, we will never face a temptation too overwhelming. Boy, to overcome. Isn't that wonderful to know? God has given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. So God gave them Canaan's land. And by the way, remember last week I mentioned those uh, uh, handouts out there in our narthex about emotional giants. We have a bunch of them in there right now. So I guess they were out last week, but they're in there right now just to let you know that. So God God has given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. And we have it now. We're not trying to get it. We have it. There's where the problem lies we sometimes don't realize we've already got it. Whoops, I already got it. You tell your wife, i got to borrow, borrow a shovel. Well, why? you got one over there in the garage. Why do you want to borrow one? you got one. Oh, yeah. if you have it, why are you going to go get one from someone else? We have it. We have deliverance. We have healing. We have health. We have victory. We have all these things that pertain to life and God. They belong to us. Now, once we join this family, we will never have a need that hasn't already been met. Now, in James chapter 1, And here's where we really get into it. God gives to all men, all men, liberally. Those verses tell us if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abrades not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, because he that wavers is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. Notice it's not God giving, it's our receiving. The problem is not God giving, the problem is our receiving. So, James tells us this, God giving what man needs has never been the problem. God gives to all men liberally, and then man's needs, God giving what man's needs has never been the problem. Receiving what God has given has always been the problem. Do we see that? Because every good and perfect gift has come from above. And it's been given to us in Christ. And there's no shadow of turning in Him. So, would you say this with me? I have all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ. Wow. The problem's not God giving. It's our receiving. In Psalm 84, verse 11, a wonderful psalm. We should use it for a devotional. And that psalm tells us, Our God is a sun and shield who gives grace and glory. Listen. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. Is healing a good thing? Oh, yeah. He's not withholding it because it's a good thing. Jesus went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Jesus said to the ph- Pharisees and all the religious people that, that were in the, in the synagogue and said... What good deed? Is it it right or wrong to do a good deed on the Sabbath? And what did he do? He healed the man's withered arm, right? He called that a good deed. So healing is good. So it belongs to us. It's a good thing. God doesn't withhold any good thing that belongs to us. So God withholds nothing from those who walk in faith. When the laws of faith are in operation, we can be sure that God will watch over his word to make it good. You see, it's on our end. I think I said this a long time ago, bears repetition here. We've got to become better receivers of what God has given. And see, some don't like to hear that. But God's a sovereign God and he'll do what he wants. And if he doesn't want to do it, I just makes my skin crawl. Because you see, as a sovereign God, he made a promise. And once he seals that promise with blood... He cannot, he will not, no matter how sovereign he is, change. He did that so we can have an anchor for the soul that goes in beyond the veil. Oh, hallelujah. We can anchor our soul on that. What's an anchor going to do? Hold us in a one spot position, right? If you're, if you're out there on a boat, maybe a lake, or if you're out there, on a, on, especially in the ocean, and you don't drop anchor, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go with the tide, right? You're going to go with the flow, are you not? The current's going to take you a certain place. But if you anchor, you're going to stay right there. So what is he saying? Anchor your soul on the promise of God, knowing God cannot lie, will not lie, and he's made you a promise, and stay right there. Get your focus and attention on what he said, not everything else. All right, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, in Christ, God has already given us healing who his own self bear our sins and his own tree on the body, who being dead to sin should live to righteousness, by whose stripes we will be. Not will be. You've been taught. We're We're healed. How does God see us? Healed. So by his stripes we were healed. And he says, See, I've given you the land. See, I've given you the victory. See, I've given you deliverance. See, I've given you healing. Remember he told the Israelites, See, I've already given you Jericho, given you the king. I've given you, it all all belongs to you. They never stepped foot on it, but it belongs to them. See, it's up to us to take the land, to receive it, to walk in it. Okay, so in your notes, Christ has already given us healing. Healing and health have already been purchased for us. Wow. Think about that. What would you like to give your son or your daughter for their birthday, for Christmas or whatever? Well, what did you buy? I purchased them life and health. They're under the tree. You can see one box here, one box there. One says life, one says health. Wow, I bet you that cost a lot. Yeah, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it cost. The blood of the Lamb paid the price for us to be free from sin and its power, from sickness and its power. Are you thankful for the blood of the Lamb that purchased our redemption, that purchased our victory? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you. Let's take a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. With your stripes, we are healed. By your blood, we have a covenant. Hallelujah. Thank you. No matter what it is we encounter, we've got the victory now. We thank you for it, we praise you for it. Hallelujah, and rejoice in this wonderful blessing and present given to us in Christ. Father, how we thank you so much. Hallelujah, glory to God. Now, we must do our part and receive by faith what God has already provided. Remember, they didn't receive him. So if you didn't receive him, you can't have eternal life. Jesus said, he that has a son has life. He that has not, the son has not life. Well, if you don't have the son, whose fault is that? It's not God's fault. It's not the fault of Jesus. It's our fault if we didn't receive him. It's up to us to receive him by faith. So, in the book of 2 Kings, you know the story of Naaman. We've talked about it many times. But how many of you know that faith comes by hearing, not having heard? That's right. So if we hear it again, what's going to come? Faith. Naaman was given explicit instructions on how to receive his Healing. What was he told? Seven times. Naaman, go dip in the river six and a half times. No, no seven times. <laughs> go in the river and dip seven times, and your flesh will come to you again. And what does he do? He pouts. Where's NBC? Where's CBS? Where's ABC? Where's Fox News? Where are all the reporters? Where are all the journalists? Where's the paparazzi? Nowhere. Nowhere. Nowhere to be found. Where's the pomp in the circumstance? Where's the prophet? Nowhere. Nowhere to be found. I thought. Well, what did you think, Damon? I thought they'd all be here because I'm so important. So important. And he wants me to go dip in that muddy. I've got better rivers where I come from that's not like this. They're clear. This is mucky, muddy water because it's probably high because of the flood season. And you want me to dip in that? Hmm. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. So they make their journey, going to go back, and uh, his servant says, I'm sure they're, you know, a little bit intimidated, but anyhow, Mm. Uh, sir, master, just a moment. If he would have asked you to do something more noble, which you have done it, yeah? Well, then. What's wrong with dipping seven times to rid your body of leprosy in a muddy river? Mm, Never looked at it that way. Yeah, I know, because you see, every dip is a layer of pride coming off. Every dip, another layer of pride comes off. Because you see, he had all those medals that he was showcasing to all the people and no one was flashing their cameras or anything like that to see them. That meant that first layer had to come off before you could dip in. And he would dip in seven times. And guess what? If he only dipped six times, no healing. Was it the will of God for him to be healed? Yes. Did God give him instructions as to how to receive his healing? Yes. Did he obey them at first? No. No. So, what he heard didn't line up with his way of thinking. His healing came only when he changed his way of thinking and did what he was instructed to do. Oh, you mean that's important? To do what God instructs us to do? I thought if he's God and he's sovereign and he wants me healed, I'll be healed. That's not what it says. This is one of the most important biblical examples of how to receive healing and how a person won't receive healing if they don't follow the rules, the instructions. The fault is not with the giver. The fault is with the receiver. And I have people say to me, I mean, upset about me saying something like that. You're saying it's my fault? Well, no, let's evaluate that. No, it's God's fault. You see, he's weak. He's imperfect. He's capable of failure. Couldn't be you. Oh, I never looked at it that way before. Well, is he capable of failure? No. no. Can he make a mistake? No. Is he deficient of power? No. So you think it, may be, it might be you, Naaman? Go dip in the river seven times. And so what did he do? He dipped in the river seven times. And lo and behold, it worked. <laughs> my son attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them part from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They become life to you and health to all your flesh. Would you say there's instructions there? How do we tend to the word? Incline your ear. In other words, listen to what I'm saying, Naaman. Listen to what I'm saying. Keep it before your eyes. A front frontlet like the scriptures were like a frontlet before your eyes. That means keep it in the forefront of your mind. So listen to what I'm saying. Think about what I'm saying. Put it in your heart. Believe what I'm saying. And my words will become life to you and hell to all your flesh. Those are the instructions that we've been given. It's like a parent saying, son, listen to me. Think about what I'm saying. And believe what I'm saying. And it'll be well with your soul and your hide right pretty good deal wouldn't you say (laughs) absolutely so we have to follow the instructions and do it God's way so now we're at point six do what he says I mean he's already given us the land we have the land and we have to do what he says okay this is number seven do what God says even if it is illogical isn't God logical? His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So much so that it is higher than the heavens are above the earth. I looked that up one time and I'm telling you, that's a long ways away. I mean, the sun just being 93 million miles away. That's pretty high, wouldn't you say? And his ways and thoughts are much higher than our ways and thoughts. And so it may seem illogical to us, but it's not illogical to him. He understands it. He knows it. Okay, Jericho was surrounded by a system of two massive stone walls. The outer wall was six feet thick and 20 feet high. The inner wall was 12 feet thick and 30 feet high. Between the walls was a guarded walkway about 15 feet wide. Their problem was that there was a city to conquer. Is your word. But there were huge, some huge obstacles in the way. So there was an obstacle, huge obstacles in the way, but there was a city to conquer. And that's exactly what it's all about. There's something to conquer, to overcome, to rise up above, okay? So we recognize that, we know that. Guess what? The Israelites under Moses, they saw the same situation, but Joshua and Caleb seeing the same situation had a different attitude, one of faith, not doubt and unbelief. Okay, so Israel had a promise. Although God promised to give them the promised land, the mighty walled city stood in their way. The walls had to come down. down. And the city had to be taken before the promised land could be theirs. So now he gave them the land and gave them a promise that he would go before them to help them take the land. But fear got in a way and they refused to go forward and take the land that God gave them. So in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2, God guaranteed victory. Isn't that how Joshua and Caleb saw it the first time? They're bread for us. They're bread for us. Don't fear them. They're bread for us. You know, we could look at it that way and just say that that situation that we might be encountering, you're bread for me. Something for me to feed my faith on. I'm going to use my faith and overcome you. All right. God guaranteed victory before uh, they attacked Jericho. He reveals the conclusion before they ever enter the battle. Isn't that what perfect perfect faith does? It sees the outcome before you ever engage in the battle. Isn't that a great battle to go into? That reminds me. (laughs) You're going to throw stones at me when I say this one. (laughs) I like to sometimes run a rerun of that last last year's uh, championship game between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Because I know the outcome before I ever started. <laughs> it's wonderful to watch a ball game when you know the outcome. I know the outcome. I won't tell you what the outcome was, but <laughs> I know what the outcome was. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You see, God sees the end from the beginning. And God wants us to see it the same way he sees it. We see the walled cities. We see the giants. We see the obstacles that we've got to overcome. But guess what? We also see that God's bigger, greater than anything that we're encountering. So we're going to look at him and not this. We know the outcome. What did David say to, to the giant Goliath? You come at me with a sword. You come at me with a shield and a spear. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, who this day will deliver you into my hand. You're going down. He saw the outcome. That's what faith is. And how did he know that? Key words here. How did David know that? What gives us the clue that David knew that? He said, you uncircumcised Philistine. What does uncircumcised mean? No covenant with the covenant-keeping God of Israel. But I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts who I'm in covenant with. Which means he will defend me and fight for me. So what's our situation that we're coming against? Whatever it might be. If it has a name, you have no covenant with God. But I do. You're going down. You're eradicated from my body. So, notice this. He reveals the conclusion before they ever enter the battle. The plan is illogical. From a military perspective. It's so logical. Does this sound logical? Point one. March around the walls once for six days. Uh, Good strategy. Uh, March with the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, okay. Put seven priests in front of the Ark. That's going to really make a difference. On the seventh day, march seven times. We'll just get tired. Exhausted. Seven days? Seven times? Those walls are, that's pretty big property there. How far is that? Have the priest, uh, have the priest blow the ram's horn and the people shout on the seventh day. And that's going to be really exhausting. Be perfectly silent as they marched. And here's the strategy. March, silence, blow horns, and shout. What military expert would embrace or recommend such a plan? Anyone? I get an idea. We'll come up from the rear. No, no, no. We'll just... No, no. Why hide? Just walk around the walls. Just walk around the walls the first day, one time, the second day, one time, the third day, one time, the fourth day, one time, the fifth day, one time, the sixth day, one time, and we'll really get him when we go seven times on the seventh day. Yeah, they're just going to cower in fear, right? No. Remember remember VeggieTales? They threw snow cones on top of them. <laughs> the, <laughs> remember that? Yeah, that's what they were getting. They were getting heckled and all that. Look at these numbskulls. Look at What wait a minute. They read, they, they did this once for 6 days. And that, that's two. That's three. That's four. That's five. That's six. Seven is the perfect number of the Lord, isn't it? Down right. Seven times. On the seven time, we know what they did. Israel had a partner and you're next. Joshua chapter 6 verse 2 told us what? I've already given you the land. I have given you the land. He didn't say you're the one, but I've given you the land. So Israel's partner was Jehovah. And he was the guarantee of their victory. He was the guarantee. Jesus is the guarantee. Of our victory of the new covenant. Amen. The guarantee. Praise God. Oh, thank God. March, silence, blow horns, shout, plus the power of God. The power of God. Jesus is the surety of the guarantee of the new and everlasting covenant whose blood stands behind every statement of fact or promise that God has ever made. And God is faithful to his covenant. And once the words escaped his lips, he says, I will not change my word in any way. It has to come the way I said it. All you got to do is believe it. So when they did their part, God did what no natural army could do on earth. No natural army can do it. We face challenges and troubles as well, but knowing the reasons why Israel experienced the victory will help also help us overcome. Okay, what were some of the key reasons why they, they had victory under Joshua? Number one, they had a word from God. It all starts right there. Don't step out on something that God didn't say. They had a word from God. If God didn't say it, he's not obligated to perform it. But if he said it, he's obligated to perform it. So number one, they had a word from God. Number two, they believed God. Under Moses, they didn't believe God. They had a word from God too. Remember that? But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. Number three, they acted in faith. Trust me. It takes faith to walk around those walls once every day and they are the enemy up there. They're looking at you like you're crazy and they just want to, what, chew you up and spit you out? That's what they want to do to you? But they acted in faith. They did it God's way, number four. It might have been foolish, but it was effective, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And number five, God gave them the victory. Do we get that? Our part, yes, his part, hmm. he gives the victory. He's the one who gives us the victory. So we get a word from God. We believe that word from God. We act on that word from God in faith. And we do what God says and do it God's way, like Naaman finally did and got healed. And what happens? God gives us the victory. Okay, two important principles. Consecration comes before conquest. Consecration. Comes before conquest. If we want to overcome, then we have to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. In every battle of life, we must devote ourselves to God completely. We must embrace a mindset that says, I will always obey God and do it God's way. He's the commander in chief in my life. My goal is to further his purposes and not mine. That's why we live. To fulfill his purposes and not ours. What do we mean by that when it comes to healing? You might want to get healed so you can play in the next football game and that's fine. But that should not be your reason. Your reason should be you want to get healed because someone shed his blood for your healing. That's the reason. That's the motive. And you know what? When you do that and you put him first and you consecrate yourself to Him, then you know what? Healing can come even so you can play sports. And I want to remind you of something that happened with Dante when he was playing at a basketball game and landed on his ankle in such a way that it was so bad that the trainer looked back at me. I was sitting on the bleachers. He looked at me and just said, it's broken. They carried him off the court, set him on, the front bleacher and I'm like so I come around I look at him, lay my hands on them sometimes you just do these things you just do these things it, all these people are there in the stands on the court and I said in Jesus name be healed I don't know how much more it was than that Dante. you don't remember I just prayed for you I prayed in the name of Jesus be healed he looked up at me he looked down at his foot and he started to use it. Now they just carried him off. Two people carried him off. He couldn't walk on it. And then um, he said to the trainer, he goes, I think I can play. He said, what? I could play. Let me see you stand on that. Hit it on the ground. Go out there. you going in the hallway. Didn't you have to jump up in the air? He went out in the hallway and jumped up in the air and landed on it. He goes... Go play. Completely healed instantly. Just like that. Just one of those. uh, Don't you want them all to be that way? (laughs) Wouldn't we love it if every healing was that way instantly? Amen. But, once again, you know, we, we put God first. And that's the main point. Consecration comes before conquest. Okay. Before going into battle, the entire nation consecrated themselves To God. How do we know that? Circumcision and Passover were symbols of consecration. Circumcision and Passover were symbols of consecration before God. So, no matter how overwhelming the walls may seem, as Christians, we fight, so important here, from victory, not for victory. We fight from victory, not for victory. We are victorious. We see ourselves victorious. We see ourselves healed. We see ourselves well. The body's denying it. The doctor's denying it. The report's denying it. But we see ourselves well. We call ourselves well. In the name of Jesus, we call ourselves free. That's what he wants us to do. So for us, the battle's already been fought and won. In Exodus 23, 27, you can see that, that God fights for us, God defends his people. The promise of victory was given. It was given. You're going into a game that you know you've won. You're going into a battle that you know you've won. And that's how God wants us to renew our minds. So when Christ, our enemies, met defeat. You ever see that Olympic, I think, advertisement, the agony of defeat? the agony of then someone is going doing somersaults on the skis and all that and just i feel so bad for that fellow <laughs> John 16:63 tells us what in the world you'll have tribulation but be of good cheer i have denied the world the right or privilege of defeating you in any way i have overcome the world it cannot overcome you it will not overcome you so christ overcame the world for us now, remember there's two kinds of trumpets? Those that were made of silver and those that were crafted out of ram's horns? They blew the trumpet, remember? You go on seven times, and on seven times, what are you going to do? Blow the trumpet. Blow. Okay. Well, silver ones were used to signal the camp when something important happened. To let them know that something important happened. The ram's horn was used for celebration. So something important happened or celebration. Well, the ram's horn was used to celebrate victory even before the walls came tumbling down. Hallelujah. Before the walls fell. They were blowing the ram's horn to celebrate celebrate victory before the walls came down. So the blast was a victory celebration, not a call to war. See, the other was a call to war. This isn't a call to war. This is a call to victory. It's a victory celebration. So, we should not live like victims, but victors. I think we can do this. We could we should live by v- being victors, not victims. Two more important truths. Silence before the Lord. Silence before the Lord. Several million people were to be silent. Wow. I'm not going to say it. I've got this at the tip of my tongue. I better not say that. Oh, how many want me to say it? Come on. Were there any women among them? (laughs) You knew it, didn't you? You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? Imagine it. They were left to their own thoughts while listening to the people mocking and taunting them. Gee, imagine that. Mocking and taunting. And there they are, silent. Remember what David said? I kept my tongue, I was musing, and as I was musing, my tongue was silent before the Lord. And he said, I just let it out. So can you imagine all that taunting that's going on, all that mocking and scoffing that's going on? And they're not saying a word. They had to be thinking, only God can do this. Only God can do this. He promised to fight for us and he will. So what's the lesson that we learn? We all must stop talking about what we should do and get quiet before our God to discover the battle plan. What does he want us to do? Psalm 46.10, you know the verse, be still and know that I am God. uh, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1, same thing. If you're in the presence of the Lord, be silent and be, be still before God. We must train ourselves to be open and receptive to God's voice. We must train ourselves to be open and receptive to God's voice. We must not be moved by the taunts and negative thoughts that are sure to come our way. Like Noah. Just like Noah. You're right. Don't be moved when they mock you and taunt you because you're building a boat. You're building an ark, right? Correct. Exactly. In the battles of life, we must learn to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Number two. Unquestioned and continued obedience. Unquestioned and continued obedience. They walked around the walls daily with no sign of change. They seemed to be no closer to victory than when they began. Like Naaman, the battle wasn't won until they obeyed and continued to obey God. In other words, they didn't stop one time. They didn't stop one day day and say, well, we did this three days. We're not going to do it the next day. No, they continued. And then on the seventh day, we did it one day, one time, two times, three times, four times. They didn't stop short of seven times. They continued to do it, exactly what he said until the very end. So, if Naaman stopped one dip short, nothing would have happened. The same would have been true with the Israelites. In Joshua chapter 6, this is what we see. God's promises require our activity. What is our activity? What are we to do? In verses 6 and 7, mindful discipline. Mindful discipline. Oh, how easy it is for the mind to wander. Is it not? Yeah. For the mind to focus on something else, to be swayed away by thoughts and imaginations and all that. And number, number from number 1 to number 3, in verse 2. Oh, somebody, I don't know, something happened here. The first one was diligence. First one was diligence, and the second one would be mindful discipline. Then the third one in verse 14 is patient repetition. Patient repetition, which is what they did. Sometimes you're just confessing the word over and over again with his stripes, stripes I'm healed, with the stripes I'm healed, with your stripes I'm healed. With your stripes I'm healed, with your stripes I'm healed, with your stripes I'm healed. You say, Why well, you keep saying that? Because the devil doesn't like it. With your stripes, I'm healed, with your stripes I'm healed, with his stripes I'm healed, with his stripes I'm healed. I'm healed, stripes. I'm healed by stripes, I'm healed by stripes. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus, and I thank God that I am. Shouts of rejoicing, number four. Shouts of rejoicing or exultation. That's what they did. They began to shout, blow the trumpet, and they begin to shout. And finally, number five, in verse 21, complete obedience. Complete obedience. So God didn't say, sit tight and watch me work. He gave them a game plan to be fulfilled. They had to march, keep silent, blow the horn, and take the city. And what does it say in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Days. Notice the participation here of the people is highlighted. That's when they fell after the people marched, as God said, for seven days. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. And so we've got seven truths that will help us get into our promised land. Seven truths that will help us be people of strong faith so that we can cooperate with God so that his purposes can be fulfilled in our lives.